Uh, This morning, we're finishing our One Another series. You may remember about six, seven weeks ago, we kicked it off. We talked about loving one another, and we talked about encouraging one another and bearing with one another, greeting uh, one another. We talked about praying for one another and admonishing one another. The reason that we're going through the One Another's is because we exist as a church to point people to Jesus, and we believe that one of the ways that that takes place is when we live in the context of community. We pursue authentic uh, community. We want to experience it uh, together. And the New Testament paints a picture for us of what that looks like. And so these one another statements are really a picture of what authentic community looks like. And so this morning I want us to think together about something uh, that we all desperately need, but oftentimes don't want to give. Something that we desperately need, but oftentimes don't want to give. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I want to begin a reading in verse 21. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. If you don't have a copy of the scripture this morning, the passage will be on the screen for you, or you can pull out your phone or your iPad your electronic device and follow along. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations may say 70 times seven. Peter goes up to Jesus and asks him a question. He says, how many times do I have to forgive my brother uh, when he sins against me? Uh, At what point can I cut bait? At what point in the relationship can I kind of wash my hands of it and slowly back away? Like, when is enough enough? And Peter throws out a number that would have been unheard of in the day. Uh, The rabbis taught during that day that you would forgive someone three times when they sinned against you. When there was an offense, one time, extend forgiveness. Two times, extend forgiveness. Three times, maybe, extend forgiveness, but no more. Like, that's it. That's plenty. That's enough. And so when Peter has this conversation with Jesus and says, how many times? Seven times? Like Peter is raising the bar. People who would have heard him would have thought to themselves, ooh, that's gracious. That's generous. That is unheard of. Seven times? Well, what is unheard of was how Jesus replied to Peter's statement. Jesus said in verse 22, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or some translations, 70 times 7. What Jesus, in essence, was saying to Peter was that you forgive someone again and again and again. You forgive them an infinite amount of times. This would have shocked his audience. Peter would have been blown away by this. Right? For, for those to hear that you forgive and forgive and forgive would have thought that is irresponsible and foolish. I'm not going to function that way. I'm not going to operate that way. We oftentimes want to get to the point where we go, you know what? <laughs> enough is enough. Right? I'm done. But Jesus tells Peter, no, you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. And then uh, he tells them a parable to illustrate it. 
On Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., a group of guys meet at Maple Street Biscuit Company bright and early in the morning for free coffee. Uh, we hang out together. We study the Word together. And a series that we just started this last Wednesday uh, was on the parables. Uh, parables in the New Testament are these stories that, that pack a punch, that are filled with meaning. I, I love the definition that C.H. Dodd gives uh, to a parable. He says, at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or simile drawn from nature or common life, arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness, and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. So a parable was a metaphor or a simile. It was something that was used from nature or something that the people during that day would have understood. There was some way that they could connect the story with a real life. And then oftentimes the parable would leave the hearer going, hmm. Like they, they might think that it means one thing, but then they may pull away and think about the parable the next day or the next week or the next month and kind of scratch their heads and go, wait a second. I mean, I, I think there was something more there. Well, Jesus is going to tell a parable to Peter illustrating this idea that he had just shared. Uh, he says in verse 23, Jesus does, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, when you read that, if you're like me, you probably think, well, what? Like, what's 10,000 talents? Is that like 10,000 pesos? Is it $10,000? Like, like, how much money is 10,000 talents? Well, if you do a little bit of research, and scholars uh, are, are not all on the same page with how much a talent was, uh, but oftentimes people would look at a talent and say that it was roughly about 20 years of wages. Right, so one talent is 20 years of wages. Uh, scripture says that this man owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. He, he owed the equivalent of, of maybe 20 years uh, times 10,000. I'm not a math guy. Ask Seth if my math is correct. But just for fun, I looked at the average wage in 2019. It was just under $50,000. You look at $50,000 times 20 years is, uh, is a million. And a million uh, times 10,000 is what? Is 10 billion. Right, now listen, I, again, I'm it's not a hill I'm going to die on. Uh, but the point that Jesus was making was this man owed an insurmountable amount of money. There is no way that this man could pay back what he owed. There's no way. He was helpless and he was hopeless. Right? And so Jesus is just telling this story about a man who owed an amount of money that he could never pay back. Never pay back. He says in verse 25, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, and his wife and children and all he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell to his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you 
everything. This is what you do, by the way, when you are desperate. When you face a debt that you cannot pay, you throw yourself at the mercy of whomever uh, you owe. And you say, listen, I, I am desperate. I am begging you that you meet me. That's what this man does. How he responds is how oftentimes you and I would respond. In some ways, it's commendable. At least, at least parts of it are. Parts of it are. If you, if you look at what he says, he, he begged uh, for patience, or he fell to his knees, right? That's a good response, because he's desperate. He falls to his knees. He's begging. Uh, he implored this man. He implored his master. And so he's going, listen, man, like, you, like, like I, I, I need your help. Like he's, he's begging of him. He begged for patience. That was wise. Then he said, I will pay you everything. That was not wise. Right? That was foolish. He said, in essence, I'm good for it. No, you're not. <laughs> Checks in the mail. No, it's not. Right? Give me a little bit more time, he says. Listen, if we put Rolex watches in your backpack, you would not have enough time or resources to pay back the debt that you owe. But notice beautifully how his master responds. It catches us off guard. We would never see it coming. It says in verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. You wouldn't expect that to take place. The master is merciful. The master wipes out his debt. Wipes out his debt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? Could you imagine if someone came in and kind of got into your business and looked at your finances and saw your credit card bills and say, I don't want you to worry about that anymore. I got it. Imagine what it would be like if someone looked at your car payment and said, you know what, that $300, I got it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Imagine what it would be like if someone looked at your medical bills and said, listen, I got it. I'll take that. I'll pay it off. Imagine what it would be like if someone took your, your mortgage and said, you know what, I can cover that. Don't worry about it. Everything you owe, I will pay. Listen, I don't care if you grew up Presbyterian, you would lean charismatic in that moment. Right there, I mean, there would be some excitement there. There would be this part of you that's like, hello, like that's a game changer. You might throw your hands up into the air. You might jump like Michael Jordan or dance like Michael Jackson. You would be ecstatic. You would be ecstatic if your financial situation changed on a dime just like that. And that's what happens to this man. And so you would expect that this man would respond like maybe many of us would respond. You would expect uh, for him to be full of gratitude and full of praise and like full of excitement and joy and worship and jump and dance. And notice how the man responds in verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. 
So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Well, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? But it, it it's, it's almost verbatim, like word for word, the story uh, that we just read about two verses earlier. Like this man who literally just had his debt wiped clean goes out and finds someone who owes him a hundred denarii. A denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage. And so this other man owed him a hundred days wages, right? So it wasn't insignificant. It was three or four months of, of, of wage or income. It wasn't insignificant. It was more than a coffee or a Coke. But in comparison to what this man had just been uh, forgiven, it pales, it pales in comparison. This man says the same thing that, that this man had just spoken moments ago, like, have patience with me. He, he, he begged him. He said, give, give me time. Like, I'll, I'll pay it off. I'll pay uh, you back. But it says in verse 30, he refused. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Verse 34, And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I want to share four observations from this passage. Four observations from this passage. And then I want us to take this and just dig a little bit deeper. Right? So four observations. The first one is that you uh, cannot pay God back what you owe. You cannot pay God back what you owe. Uh, scripture is, is pretty plain in other places that, uh, that, that we, that our sinfulness uh, breaks our fellowship with God and the relationship that we once had. Uh, like we are in God's debt and we never could pay him back enough uh, for what he has done for us. And yet oftentimes, I think even as Christians, even as followers of Jesus, we live life in such a way that we try to pay God back for what we owe to him. When we do that, that is foolish. It's foolish because we could never pay back God what he owes. Oftentimes we function in our relationship with God how we function in our relationship with our children. Parents, I don't know if there's ever been a time in your life when you have said to your son or said to your daughter something along the lines of, after all I've done for you. After all I've done for you. Like, I, I got you that game system for Christmas. Right? I bought you the new sneakers. Like, I let you go to that concert after all I've done for you. And this is the thanks that I get. Oftentimes, even as Christians, as believers, we function that way with God as if God sits up in the heavens and says to his kids, after all I've done for you. God does not function that way. As a matter of fact, Scripture teaches us that God has wiped out our debt. He, he took the debt of our sin and nailed it 
to the cross. And so our obedience, our pursuit of holiness in the Christian life is not because we are trying to earn back from God what God has already given to us. Our obedience or following Jesus is just simply out of love for him. You cannot pay God back what you owe him, and you do not have to. That penalty has been paid by Jesus on the cross. And so listen, brothers and sisters, you, you, you are free. You are free uh, to live for him, but not to pay him back uh, for what he has given to you. You and I could never uh, do that. You cannot pay God back what you owe. Secondly, uh, one of the reasons that we withhold forgiveness is because we forget our need for forgiveness. This is what Jesus is teaching Peter here uh, by telling this story. One of the reasons we withhold forgiveness is because we forget our need for forgiveness. Or to put it another way, we do not forgive much because we don't believe we've been forgiven much. To put it another way, if our sin is small in our eyes, if our sin is small in our eyes, grace will be seen as small or even unnecessary. And yet oftentimes I think this is uh, the way that we can view our sin as, as Christians, as, as believers. Like that, that sense of awe and knowing and realizing that, that God has met us in our sin and paid for it is forgotten. It seems like the longer we walk with the Lord. Instead of our hearts being more full of gratitude and awe and wonder that God would meet us in our sins, we functionally start to think that we're not really that bad. In other words, some of us may suffer from an overinflated view of ourselves. Right? We think that we're, we're pretty good. I mean, we have struggles. We have struggles. I mean, small things. But we're not as bad as the next guy or the next girl. How do you know if you have an overinflated view of self? Um, well, just think for a moment about your confessional life. Think for, think for a moment about um, what repentance looks like in your heart and in your life. Do, do you practice confession? Do you, do you practice repentance? Do, do you see your own need for God's forgiveness to wash over you? Or is it easier sometimes to look and, and see the problem is coming from out here, out here, wherever here is for you, instead of right here? Right? One of the ways that we know we've been blown away by the grace of God is that we practice confession and repentance in our lives. Third um, thing that we notice here is that forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people uh, forgive people. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 and 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Uh, forgiven people forgive people. Right? We, as the people of God, have been forgiven by God. We've experienced his forgiveness, and so we've been set free uh, to forgive one another. A last thing that we notice in this text is that withholding forgiveness isn't foolish. Forgiving, uh, withholding forgiveness isn't foolish. It is torture. Right? It's, it's torture. It's torture to, to hold 
on to the sins or the indiscretions of others to make them uh, somehow pay you back or jump through hoops or have your heart full of bitterness uh, towards someone instead of releasing someone uh, from the debt they owe and could never pay back. That's what Jesus is teaching here when he says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother uh, from your heart. So listen, if you're anything like me, you hear that, and hopefully you heard that, we should be a people of forgiveness. We should forgive an infinite amount of times. We should forgive and forgive and forgive. And if you're like me, um, you have questions. Like, I hear that, and I go, that, um, that's true. Like, I want to forgive and forgive and forgive. But I have these, what I like to call, but what about questions? I don't know if you've had this happen to you before when you've read the Word, and you go, I see that. And I know that, and I believe that. But, but what about... And, and all of these things start coming to mind. Like, I, I read this, and I think about, yeah, we should forgive people an infinite amount of times, but what about someone who's wronged you, who's unwilling to repent? Maybe they don't see it, or, or maybe they refuse. What about that person? How am I supposed to interact with them? Or what about someone who sinned against us and reconciliation is impossible? Like they're, they're out of the picture. Maybe they're not living anymore. Maybe, maybe they're gone. You have no communication with them. Like what do I do in that instance? What about someone who repeatedly sins against us, sometimes in destructive ways? Like what does it look like to forgive in a situation like that? Or what about a situation where trust has been broken? And I'm like, I don't trust her anymore. I don't trust him anymore. Like they, they've sinned against me. What does it look like for me to forgive in those situations and circumstances. So I'm going to just do my best in two and a half minutes to address all of those questions. Ah. Or at least uh, cause you to think about and wrestle with what this looks like. Because right? that point of the parable, right, is for us to walk away and go, hmm, wait a second, and to think about it and to wrestle with it. Um, so just a, just a few things. I scratched these down uh, when I realized that Seth was not preaching. Uh, and he's not. I've been up here the whole time. Uh, don't miss the connection that Scripture makes between repentance and forgiveness. Don't miss it. It's there. As a matter of fact, if you, if you look at the passage right before this in Matthew chapter 18, it's a passage on church discipline. Right? There's someone who's running hard and fast away from the Lord. We're to confront them. We're to go, hey, like, do, do you see this? If they say no, we're supposed to bring a, a brother with us and go, hey, like, hey. If, if that doesn't, doesn't work, we're supposed to, like, take it before the church and to go, hey, this, like, brother or sister is, like, living in open and unrepentant sin, and we're supposed to distance ourselves in, in hopes that that. God, through his grace and mercy, would restore that person. So there isn't kind of this like, hey, whatever you do, it doesn't matter. Just say sorry, and we'll just go, hey, mistakes were made. Uh, it's okay. There are no consequences. That's not what Scripture teaches. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in, in Scripture, there seems to be a connection oftentimes between repentance, 
uh, and forgiveness. Secondly, forgiveness is not freedom from consequences. Uh, when we sin, our decisions have consequences. Forgiving someone doesn't mean uh, that, that there isn't uh, consequences or a fallback to their actions. We've all experienced this on some level, right? I mean, you, you make poor decisions or bad decisions or sinful decisions, and oftentimes we are faced with the consequences of our actions. Like, you, you can't, when you're in trouble, like, pull out your I'm sorry card from your back pocket and be like, I said I was sorry. You can't ground me, but I can't get in trouble. You can't write me up. Like, I said I was sorry. I said forgive me. No, there's, there still are consequences to our actions. Third, forgiveness extended is not the same as trust given. We, we cannot say, I said I'm sorry. What more do you want me to do? You, you can forgive someone and, and still relationally not trust that person can forgive someone but still relationally not uh, trust that person. Fourth, forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation or restoration. It's possible to extend forgiveness to someone and still not have a restored relationship with that person. It may be unhealthy to do so. And so you extend forgiveness, but, but maybe that relationship is not restored. Romans 12, 18 says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably uh, with all. That's our goal, reconciliation, restoration. We, we should pray toward that end. We should want that. And when it is possible, we should experience it. But it is not always possible. Uh, fifth, uh, forgiveness is not saying uh, to someone else who has sinned against you, you're forgiven. And then function in such a way uh, where they have to earn from you what you've already said that you've given to them. Think about this in the, in the context of a relationship, particularly a marriage, when a spouse has sinned against you, a husband against his wife, or a wife against her, her husband, and, and they ask for forgiveness. I, I repent, I come to you, and you say, you are forgiven, but then emotionally... You, you check out, and, and, and you say, I, I know what you said, but I'm going to make you work for it. I'm going to make you earn it. That uh, is emotionally abusive. It's not forgiveness. Right? So, so those things are what forgiveness is not. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe and could never pay back. Forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe and could never pay back. I'm not going to hold this against you any longer. The relationship may look differently how we interact. It may look different. Someone may not be in your life anymore. There may be distance between you. Uh, but forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt they owe and could never uh, pay back. It's an act of the will that's birthed in the heart. Right? Scripture calls us to forgive from uh, the, the heart. And lastly, forgiveness is life-giving to both the giver and the receiver. Forgiveness is freedom. It is freedom. It is freedom to go, I'm not going to hold this against you anymore. So listen, uh, may uh, you, may you, Christ Point, experience the freedom of knowing uh, that your debt has been forgiven by God through faith in Jesus and his finished work. May that freedom that is yours wash over you this morning. And may you extend the same forgiveness to others uh, that God has extended and given uh, to you. And may you release others uh, from the debt they owe and could never pay back. 
as a church body, God calls us to forgive one another. May we do so well and experience the freedom that is ours.